Hiring? With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. Try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash first cut. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash first cut. Back here on the First Cut Podcast with Kyle Porter. We hope you enjoyed our Over Under Mega Mix parts one and two. Thanks so much for the feedback that we got through email, Twitter, and uh, and Kyle. All all my my dudes. I was I was with a lot of uh, fun golf fans over the weekend. Uh, you know the the debate kept going. Like all these numbers, they were bringing it out. I think we tapped into something beautiful right there. Yeah, it was great. Um, I'm I'm in on doing that a couple of times a year. It'll be like the um, the old Bill Simmons um, uh, trade value column. Yeah, that can, be, that can be like our anchor for the year. Is just a, a an over on. I did get. I think I got made fun of because I picked over for everybody. I didn't realize it at the time because as you're doing it, you just you forget kind of what you're talking about and you're just trying to think of like the person that is, you know, that you presented to me. Apparently I went over on everybody. So I apologize for that. But I, I, I remember going under on a few guys. I, I went under on uh, who maybe Jimmy Walker or somebody like that. You, but um, <laughs> Only Jimmy Walker. Kyle goes yeah, over only. on everybody and under on Jimmy Walker. Cold blooded. I, it's like, man, I, I uh, I feel for you because sometimes in in college football when people are doing like team win totals, you can get dragged by fans when they figure out like wait a second math done that up right there. Yeah, it's like um, when people like I think I've seen this post before like when uh, like ESPN guys do um, like NFL win totals. It's like there's only so many games. Like it has like it literally has to add up. And it's like not everybody can win 11 games. So, um, yeah, there's only four majors a year. Not everybody can win 15 majors in their career. Uh, Speaking of majors, it is major championship season. We got a lot of things to talk about, including uh, our official PGA Championship expert picks, which will be coming in Wednesday's show. Uh, But the major championship news, something that uh, listened in to the conference call with Jim Nance Nick Faldo and Dottie Pepper last week, and they all, uh, they were, they seemed to be, uh, you know, they wanted to hesitate from just outwardly supporting one side or another, but um, even the CBS chairs, and, and there was a, a general feeling on the call when the topic came up that the PGA Championship would be moving to May, uh, and the news is made official on Monday. PGA Championship moving to May, beginning in 2019, uh, when the championship will be at Bethpage Black. Um, like this, the, again, Kyle, you are you are much more inside than I, and I, I, I continue to lean on you for the expertise. This seems like, A, a common sense move in terms yeah. of expanding uh, golf's visibility, but be also something that uh, a lot of people felt like they saw coming. It didn't seem like it was a big surprise. Yeah, I, I would agree with both of those things. You know, the the Associated Press confirmed it on Monday. I think there's going to be an official statement by the PGA of America later on this week at Quail Hollow, and this was sort of. Um, predicated by Keith Pelly, who is the um, the CEO of the European Tour, said that there would be a decision by August. He said that earlier this summer. And w- once he kind of said that, it was like, okay, well, it, it sort of it, it sort of 
like there was a trajectory to it. It looked like we were headed in this direction. And, you know, to me, Chip, it, 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 it does two things. It gives you a better rhythm for the season. So golf is largely built around the, the biggest tournaments, the majors, as well as the, the WGCs. And, and then on the PGA tour, the players championship and, uh, on the European tour, the BMW PGA championship, which is kind of their flagship event. So what what this move allows you to do is to have, if you're the PGA tour, it allows you to have uh, the players in March, uh, which is where it had been traditionally, then the masters in April, PGA in May, uh, US open in June and uh, uh, open championship in July, which would be the end of the major season. And to me, that's a better rhythm than what we've gotten in the last two years, which is like, it it feels like to me squeezing all these majors in, in a seven week span last year, it was like a six week span because you had the Olympics and it, it just is not, um, I don't know. I don't love it. Like th- there's no rhythm to it. Cause it's like masters and then, mediocre event, mediocre event, mediocre event, and then three majors in seven right. weeks. And you're like, oh my gosh, like, can we, can we spread these out a little bit? So I, I really like that aspect of it. I, I think it's just going to be a win all the way around because now you have the opportunity, if you're the PGA Tour, to consolidate the season and, and get it over with by the time football starts. There's no reason for the PGA Tour to bleed into the NFL season or even college football season like they are doing right now. I, I realize there's money involved and business relationships, but, uh, I, I would like to see the next step be them kind of consolidating everything, maybe taking out a few events. I, I don't know, moving stuff around to where, um, the FedEx cup playoffs are over by labor day. And right now, um, if, if this gets, this move happens, how does this impact the players championship? Yeah, just, I mean, they're going to move it to March. You're not going to have the players and the PGA Championship in May. Um, you know, I've heard some people talk, and, and the, the players had traditionally been in March um, down in Jacksonville. So, you know, it, it's going to be a little colder for that. Uh, we see that at the Arnold Palmer at at, uh, at Bay Hill in Orlando. Sometimes it's cold in March for that event. Um, but I, I think having the players right before the masters will be a really nice sort of, because it's, it's almost like you have this eight month stretch between let's say the, the FedEx cup playoffs and, and the masters or even the Ryder cup and the masters. It's a little less. It's like six months, but it's like the masters is the only thing we have to look forward to at the beginning of the year. And so I, I think it'll be a nice little appetizer, uh, which we don't really have right now. You can say Pebble or Arnold Palmer, but there's not really a great appetizer uh, for the Masters. And I think moving the players to, to back to March will be that in the future. Oof, it'll be fun. That's I. I ultimately for me, this comes down to the visibility. And you you just mentioned it, so there's no real need to like expand too much further. But it's a lot of people are just checked into football season. And it's it's yeah. tough, you know. The further you go up against uh, our country's great addiction, then like it's going to be harder and harder uh, to to grow things. And man, it is uh, it's it's going to be a lot of fun to see how this changes. Like uh, it'll change just sort of the the Grand Slam rhythm. It'll change the rhythm of the major championship season. And uh, and I don't, I mean, I I don't see any negative. Like this this is the easiest decision that I think the PGA of America could have made. Yeah, you know, it, it would be interesting, and, and I'm sure a story will come out on this, but just to kind of hear about 
how this came about because you've got all these, I was talking to my wife about this last night. You've got all these different entities within golf. You've got PGA of America, you've got USGA, you've got Augusta national, you've got the RNA, you've got the PGA tour, you've got the European tour and you try to get them all in sync and doing what's quote unquote best for the sport, for the fans, but they all have their own agendas and they all have, you know, the reasons that they like to do things the way they like to do them. I, I don't know if, you know, the PJ of America is going to say, this is what we felt like was best for us. I don't know if they actually believe that or if they felt like they were kind of, um, not forced into it, but maybe coerced by the PJ tour and European tour. But ultimately chip, I think that this will be what's best for the PJ of America. I think, there will be more visibility on this tournament. It, it's a nice link between the Masters and the U.S. Open. Uh, it's not as big as either one of those events, but it, it's certainly one of the biggest in the sport. And and like you mentioned, there's no football. The the kind of the the um, shine of the baseball season has already worn off a little bit by May. Uh, basketball playoffs haven't. They're kind of going, but you're in that kind of first second round. That's like trash I, yeah is this fun <laughs> yeah. not really you know you haven't gotten to the conference finals and the finals so i, I just i'm ecstatic i think it's going to be um i think it's going to be fantastic i think there's a risk of potentially eliminating some of the uh, maybe northeast venues you know the uh the oak hills and places like that where the pga championship has been in the past but as long as you have, if, as long as you don't have it like the first week in May, I, I think there is going to be, um, I, I think those places will still be playable and it gives you an opportunity to potentially expand into, maybe you go to California, maybe you go to, um, I don't know, Texas even, like maybe you go to Florida. They had the PGA Championship, I think it was 1971, it was played in Florida because they had to hold it in February. I can't remember why, but um, you know, it, it's, there's going to be some ripple effect from this decision. And, and I think all of it ultimately will be good for the sport. So what do we think about Harry diamond? Is Harry diamond the most interesting man on the PGA tour right now? Or the uh, most interesting <laughs> man in golf? Like as, as we sit here going into the PGA championship, how sick w- would it be if your best friend just happens to be a world-class golfer and now, and now you're, and now you're on the bag. And like, like I, I, I'm looking at Harry Diamond, and it just seems like it's a fun opportunity. It just seems like you and your boy are out there having fun. Yeah, I think it's great. And you know, a lot of people have talked about this, but but Harry Diamond, for those who don't know, is is on Rory McIlroy's bag, replacing uh, longtime caddy uh, J.P. Fitzgerald, um, and and he is a him and Rory are, are best mates, as they guess, say, is the, is, is the proper term going back to when they were growing up. He was a really good uh, amateur player. And you always kind of heard about him like playing practice rounds with Rory. I, I think they put together like, um, and I don't remember where it was, maybe whistling straights or just so. And I was like, who is this guy? Like, what, what is he doing out here? You know, um, but yeah, it, it seems like. Um, All right. So, what's the inside scoop on? Uh, because because <laughs> this was because this went down uh, while we were uh, doing our over under mega mix, and you know this was uh, something that he didn't really address until he arrived at Firestone for the uh, for the WGC Bridgestone Invitational. 
Uh, even like at that first press conference, man, he was like it was as uh like as pleasant of a split in terms of like the way he was talking about it. Like he seemed, he said he had to, uh, you know, in order to save a personal relationship, he had to end a professional one. Um, he talked about taking ownership of his, uh, of his golf and, and trying to, you know, really start to, you know, bring, I guess, like, do you believe Dottie Pepper actually mentioned that too, that with the caddy change, it had to do with not relying on your caddy as much. Is that just golf talk or is that something that I, that you uh, would attribute to Rory making this decision? The idea that, you know, this, this caddy uh, in JP Fitzgerald, who he first brought on in 2008, who was there for all four majors for the rise to number one for like for every, not like for every professional win, um, is that something where the ownership theme or narrative is something that you're buying into? Um, yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I think that's certainly a component of it. I, I think that I thought that what Rory said at his press conference um, at Bridgestone was was really interesting, and in that he felt like he had been. Um, I, I think he said this at his press conference, or I heard it somewhere else. Like he had not, he he didn't like check yardages yeah like he just asked he just asked jp for a yardage and then hit the club that went that yardage and like that's that struck me as not odd like i i think that a lot of people do that but um i think that it will be good you, you look at somebody like jordan spieth who's like m- might be maniacal about his yardages <laughs> and his yardage book and might be a little like crazy about it and and i think that rory could afford to um, to do that a little bit more. I mean, he, I think he used the word ownership a, a bunch in his presser of, of just like, um, just owning the, the shot, owning the, he, and he's talked about this throughout the season. He talked about, um, working on his, his, uh, putting game at the, I think it was at the Irish open and just owning his putting stroke, like not relying on a teacher, not relying on an instructor, not relying on a putter, but just owning the stroke. And so I think, I think you're seeing, what he's trying he's that he's trying to do the same thing essentially with his swing um and with his uh, just the way he kind of manages his game around the course and i think ultimately no matter how this plays out in a year or five years i think that um it's it's sort of just like this jolt that you need when you get these guys at the highest level like and, and we saw this in basketball right like we see this with kobe with michael jordan like they need they, they need like almost these self-starting mechanisms to get themselves going again um and it and, and it's it's weird right like you're like why would somebody like that need that but it's so easy i think to become complacent when you're at the at the highest level and you've accomplished everything it, it's it's easy to become complacent right and so i think that this uh, will be one of those self-starting methods for Rory to to sort of, um, you know, get him maybe cranking a little bit again in terms of getting wins and 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 racking up major championships. Um, he said that it would be up to Harry Diamond if he wants to stay on the bag. Do you think that he'll stick with his best mate for the rest of the season? I think honestly, a lot of it has to do with how the PGA Championship goes. You know, he said something like, um, "If if you know, who knows what will happen if we win both of these tournaments or whatever." Well, they finished, or, or Rory finished T five at Bridgestone, and he's the favorite going into the PGA. I think if he wins the PGA, that yeah, I could see him being on the bag for a few years, ten years. I who knows? Um, 
I, I think that, um, you know, Chip, there is one free agent caddy out there. I am saying, be, uh, I'm that, saying. <laughs> that would be a pretty interesting addition uh, who has uh, caddy. Major championship experience. Exactly, exactly. So who knows? I, I have no idea if that's going to happen. Uh, I have no idea if. I mean, I don't, whatever. I, I, I don't know what's going to happen with Rory, but, um, that'd be kind of fun, right? Like bones and, and Rory teaming up to, to get to six, seven, eight major championships. A hundred percent. I, I didn't think that the golf caddy, the golfer caddy storylines would be a prominent part of golf coverage, but sure, you know, sure enough, here we are in the 2017 season and there've been like not even one, but two major high profile splits. This is like, yeah, you know, well, and, and, and growing up, you know, when we were growing up, it was always like the only caddy you ever really knew was, was fluff, right? right? Like he was like this famous, had a commercial, like was with tiger for a while. And, and I don't know, just like from, from, from like the common golf fans perspective, he was the only guy that you had really ever heard of. And then, and, you know, Bones kind of came into the spotlight over his time with Phil. And, and now it, because of social media and because of, um, you know, this this sort of like PGA Tour Live era where everything's on TV and stuff, you, you sort of get to know these guys a little bit more and you get to know uh, their personalities and who's been with who for a long time. And I, I think it's super interesting. And, and I think that, you know, uh, uh, Bones said this on a podcast with uh, Shane Bacon. It was on Shane Bacon's podcast. He talked about how important – it is to be paired in the final round of a tournament or in any round of a tournament with a guy that you really get along with that that is easy to play with. And I th- I think sort of the, th- the same thing about players and caddies. Like it, it, it's and, and I think Rory might have said this as well, but it's it's more important, more important than the yardages than the whatever is like. Do you have a good relationship with your caddy? Like, does he put you in, in a good mood? Does he know when to challenge you? Does he know when to back off or, or whatever? So, I, I find that kind of psychological aspect aspect of things really interesting. Well, the golfer caddy relationship is all about teamwork, and if you are trying to build the best team for your business of any size, then you need to link up with ZipRecruiter because with ZipRecruiter you can post your job to 100 plus job sites and social media sites with just one click. Then their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job better than anyone else. See, that's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike these other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. In fact, it finds them. Over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. You don't have to juggle emails. No, you don't have to juggle calls. Just simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. So right now, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for how much? For free! That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash first cut. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash first cut. One more time, try it for free today. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash first cut. Rory and Harry Diamond, they were uh, they were getting it done at the WGC Bridgestone Invitational. We talked about the change. What do you think from Rory's performance in a round where he, like, oh, in a, 
Well, that's, let's just great. What did you think about Rory's performance? What notes are you taking away from him going into a PGA championship where he is the player to beat? Yeah, you know, I, I watched a lot of golf this weekend when I got back. I got back late Friday night from vacation, and first I fl- did you I do fl- oh, a- did you do the uh, women's British? No, I did. Well, I did some of it, but not that night. I think it was the next morning or something. But um, I flip on the TV at like eleven, and they're replaying the the Friday round. And first thing I see is is uh, Phil yelling four right off the tee, and then and then uh, putting in his OJ gloves. Like he had both black gloves on uh, <laughs> with a with a short sleeve shirt. It was just. You, you couldn't ask for a better re-entrance. Yeah, I was going to say, that's the best, like, oh, we're back kind of moment yeah, so, for you. so good. Yeah. Um, you know, Rory was unbelievable off the tee, obviously. He averaged, I think it was 328 off the tee, 10 yards ahead of the next best guy. I think Jeff Shackelford had that stat today. Um, I mean, that's a that's a joke. I know that Bridgestone is long, but to be 10 yards longer than the second best guy, who is Jason Day, was just outrageous. Um, he didn't hit his approaches very well. You know, I think he finished, uh, 40th ish in strokes gained on approach shots. He putted, you know, and here's the thing. This is, I preach this all the time with guys like Rory and even somebody like Spieth, who's an underrated ball striker, uh, mostly because he's the number one ball striker on the PGA tour right, right. now. But, and, um, no one, and, and people forget, people forget that Jordan Spieth <laughs> is the number one, uh, is the number one ball striker in the world. Like people forget that the golden state warriors blew a three, one lead to the <laughs> Cleveland state Cavaliers. People forget that. So, uh, uh, you know, Rory putted, uh, I think he was like 35th in putting or something in, in the Bridgestone field. Guess what? That's, that's all he needs to do to win a golf tournament. Like he just has to be like top 30, top 50, you know, top 45, something like that. But he he didn't hit his he didn't hit his approach shots well at all, um, which was weird because he I, I want to say he doesn't have enough uh, rounds to qualify, but I want to say he would be like top two or three on the PGA Tour in, in approach shots this year if he had enough rounds to qualify. So um, I don't know, and and it seemed like the 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 round the shot the holes that I watched him he was hitting it pretty good it wasn't you know you've seen him with jp in the last few months like just be you know 20 yards long or 20 yards short or something it's like what in the world you know especially with his wedge game but i I felt like he was hitting a little bit better um but he just he didn't he didn't give himself enough 15 footers you know it's all about it's all about especially for him giving yourself 15 footers and you're going to make a percentage of them or whatever but all that to say i thought he played pretty well you know and and it and it you know, with somebody like him, like you get worried when he's making like triple bogeys or double bogeys or like he did at the open bogeying five of the first six holes or whatever it was. But this wasn't that. This was just he just missed opportunities. He had tap in pars where he would just barely miss birdie or whatever. So I think if you're a Rory fan, which obviously we are, uh, you got to yeah. be you got to be pretty excited and pretty confident going into Quail Hollow with the way he's driving it. And, you know, he might not win, but I, I would be incredibly surprised if he was not at least uh, in the mix with you know with back-to-back top five finishes at, at pretty big time tournaments yeah and uh you know he he finishes t5 here he has four rounds in the 60s and part of him not getting the win is because hideki matsuyama just burned that place down 
Um, oh, drops a joke. Drops a 61 on uh, on Sunday after... Um, and like a 61 when the narrative was that he wasn't hitting the ball well. What's up with that? Well, and, and a 61 and, and his last three birdies were all from eight feet and in. And, you know, we talk about this a lot, but these guys are like, you're going to make a six foot or a seven foot or an eight foot, you're going to make a lot of those, right? If you're a PGA Tour pro. So if you're hitting it to eight feet every time, you're going to go shoot a 61. I mean, it, it was, it, I was thinking about this with Hideki afterwards. I, I feel like, I, and, and all of this coming off of a podcast in which I said he might not ever want a major, right? Um, <laughs> but I feel like his, like, call it whatever you want, fifth gear or sixth gear or whatever, like, I feel like there's only like, I don't know, five guys that have that gear. Now, he doesn't like live there. He doesn't exist there, mostly because he's not a very good putter. But when it's on, it is just all the way on. And, and, and it, you know, he's won. He won by five here. He won by like seven in China at the, at the HSBC Champions last year. Like he, he destroys fields whenever he wins. And, and it's really um, – it's interesting because – for whatever reason, and you might be able to shed some light on this, it's not as fun to watch him like burn it down as it is a DJ or a Rory or a Spieth even, uh, or even somebody like Ricky. Like I, I don't know why that is. I, I don't. His swing is unique. He is um, spraying tour sauce all over the place with his club drops and whatever. But he's just I. I I don't. I'm not as engaged watching him as I am some of those other guys. Do you feel the same way? No, not at all. But I gotta admit some bias here. Just being close friends with Robbie Calland, formerly of CBS <laughs> Sports, now with Uprocks, like Robbie Calland, who has been uh, just all in on Hideki for a long time. Um, I just the the fact that he, you know, you know why it really might be. Um, it, it like the, for American golf fans, it's, it really might. And like, I hope this doesn't come across poorly, but like, we don't always get to hear him express, uh, the, the way, what he's thinking out there. Right. Yeah. You know, like he's speaking through a translator when he's doing most of his, uh, most of his interviews and, um, you know, we're not going to see him in the we're not going to get to see him in the commercials as a spokesperson um i i love the volatility of hideki like the you know you mentioned the six gear he doesn't exist there but like the like the hideki ejection always seems like it's like three or four holes away <laughs> like i i i watch for the for the fact that like the needle uh, like the the uh, charts that show like how how you're moving up and down like level to par like that thing could end up looking like an EKG needle or something like that just like rifling up and down and I just I I watch for the entertainment value there and I I was I was all in I mean he was what like just not even putting his eyes on the ball just str- like strike it right off the tee and just start moving like he it was. Uh, so saucy and I, I get, I'm in, you know, like I, he, I like when he burns it down. He said he, didn't he say, uh, after the round that he, he knew 
that about he wanted to shoot 61? Yeah, that was great. That didn't get as many as many headlines as uh, when he said through a translator that he didn't he he wasn't confident in his swing all day, <laughs> which was very tour saucy. But uh, he also said, yeah, he said that he played with Tiger in uh, when was it thirteen? Last time Tiger won, which was at Bridgestone, he shot sixty one. I think in the second round, I think it was on a Friday afternoon, and Hideki played with him. So he said that on the sixteenth hole, he was thinking about sixty one. And he knew he had to birdie all three coming in, and he did that. And to your point, like his 18th hole, like they might have to, they might have to, um, like not let the members at Firestone play that for a while because it's been flooded. He <laughs> he he walked off the tee box while his ball was at its apex, and not <laughs> not forward, like not towards the ball. He walked off the back of it. I, it's just like a walk off. Like I, I don't know what I don't know what that was all about. And then. His club twirl in, into the approach shot on 18 was – it was one of those uh, kind of tiger-like where you you straighten both hands and both hands are off the club and then you grab it again real quickly. Mm-hmm. And it was just – it was – Rory had one of those at the Ryder Cup last year where he just – he just flung it with both hands and then grabbed it again. I love that. That that's, that might be my favorite type of club twirl. Uh, that's a chef. Like that's the equivalent of the chef that's taking like the spice or the sauce and just like <laughs> just just flying it onto there and like kissing his finger, like kissing all five fingers at once to just just honor the the glory that you just <laughs> dropped and just blessed the golf community with. Well, uh, you know if you know if Hideki is club twirling that it. I mean, there's a like. 80% chance is going to hit the stick because he, <laughs> he, he, he's, he's more of a, uh, you know, drop your club in disgust and hit it to 12 feet kind of guy. So yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty impressive stuff. Pretty fun. Uh, it, it was, it was good to see, you know, I was kind of, I kind of wanted Thomas Peters to be there. I really like Peters a lot. I think he's still sort of underrated. Um, but it, it was fun to see Hideki, uh, get get crazy there at the end. It was it was pretty cool. Do you think that the win? Uh, so we you've mentioned to me that sometimes the world golf rate ratings rankings, the math in it can get a little bit funny depending on which tournaments you're playing in and how the points are awarded. Uh, Matsuyama uh, reached number two this season likely to remain as a you know a top five guy and I don't really see uh, him sliding too far down anytime soon like kind of seems like he could be someone who's just in you know the top five or top ten of the world rankings for a while do you think that wins like this um, solidify that world ranking so that it seems like it is more like Hideki Matsuyama, number two in the world, kind of seems like at times it'd be like, yeah, but was the thing that uh, someone would follow it up with. Do you think that this changes at all his perception where he really might be one of the five best players in the world? Uh, yeah, but I don't think it changes it as much t- for me as his like top tens at majors, right? Like he he was a legit number two because. Uh, so so finishing in the top 10 but not winning is sort of undervalued in golf or under maybe underrated by golf fans finishing in the top 10 in a major is a big deal um and he does that a lot and so he was already like 
he he wasn't an Alex Noren where he was like finishing T49 in majors and still number seven in the world. And you're like, wait, wait a second. Like what? What's what's going on here? Now, we can talk about the difference between European Tour and PGA Tour or whatever. But to me, Hideki was it's not the Bridgestone win or, or the HSBC win necessarily that that solidifies him for me. It's it's that he consistently performs at a top five, top 10 level at these at these top 10 type tournaments, including major championships. So it, it doesn't it doesn't really change it for me. It might for other people, like for people who don't value like T7s and, and fourth place finishes or whatever. But to me, it, it sort of is like, yeah, if you're finishing in the top 10 all the time, you're going to run into a, a couple of wins. You're going to run into a tournament where you shoot a 61 in the final round or somebody else falls apart and you kind of slide in the back door for that victory. So it's just sort of a uh, continuation of what he's been doing so far. Over under major victories, Hideki Matsuyama, 0.5. I mean, you you can't say under, right? Right. You You cannot say under because of what you just (laughs) said. Like it is going to be when he tees off in the – fourth to final group and shoots a 64 i mean that almost happened that almost happened at aaron hills this year right like if, yeah if kepka falls apart somebody else i think brian Harmon might have finished ahead of him or tied with him or, or something like that but um yeah you got i mean when the number three player in the world is 20 what is he 26 25 uh, you have to say over just he's already got five wins uh, you know i i, I don't I don't think he's like a multiple major guy, but I do think he's, he's, I think, and again, like I was making the case two weeks ago that he might not ever want a major. So I don't know why people are listening to me, but, um, <laughs> I think he's at least a, a one major guy. All right. Um, we're going to do our official PGA championship picks, uh, later in the week, but Jordan Spieth, um, on Thursday, he had the the like super fun highlight of hitting it over into the trees, telling Michael Greller, "I'm gonna do something stupid. Just stand, hold my bags, put the bag over there, and watch this." And then he slaps the ball from outside of the tree over to like the far side of the green, ends up saving par. He rolled in like back to back fifty foot birdie putts, um, but didn't play all that well all the way through he finishes t13 here what'd you see from spieth uh what'd you like and what are your takeaways as he goes into um what is you know just a monumental opportunity uh, to be to finish off the grand slam at quail hollow yeah you know i i think i saw a more and and this happens in in non-majors he he was very like laid back kind of joking around like just very relaxed um it didn't feel like the uber intense player that we saw at at the open you know and and i think that's just like the difference between major speed and non-major speed um is that where you said like him talking too much sometimes is annoying when it doesn't happen at the majors (laughs) yeah sometimes or when he's like shooting you know yeah yeah sometimes it does but part of that's not his fault he's you know pga tour live and cbs and whoever just shows him on every shot as well they should he's a you know top he's the number two player in the world but so some of that's not his fault but um you know i i think going into quill hollow i I, I, I'm a little concerned. I, I I don't have his stats right in front of me for Bridgestone, but 
we've talked about how he's wild off the tee sometimes. We saw it at, at Birkdale. Um, you could get away with that a little bit at Aaron Hills. You could get away with it at Birkdale, obviously. I'm not positive you're going to be able to get away with it at Quail Hollow. You know, they, they brought in some some new uh, gr- some new Bermuda grass. Uh, the rough is supposed to be thicker, d- more difficult to play out of uh, than normal. And he's not – I think he only has one appearance at Quail Hollow in general, and it wasn't a top 10 or anything like that. He's not played particularly well in his career at PGA Championships. He did finish second at Whistling Straits, but I think that was his – I believe that was his only top 10. And so I, I don't know. Um, if he hits it straight, he'll probably win. But I don't have a ton of confidence that he's going to hit it uh, straight enough to be able to do that. Dang. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I've got, a, I've got a weird, like, Spieth might not play that well type feeling about the PGA this week. Um, cut 2013, cut 2014, runner up to Jason Day, whistling straights, T13 a year ago. Jordan? So he finished, yeah, T13 last year. It was, it was pretty good. Uh, a bunch of people, Rory missed the cut, DJ missed the cut. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Well, you're going to have to tune in to see if Jordan Spieth is either one of our picks to win at the PGA Championship at Quail Hollow. So make sure that you subscribe because uh, the subscribers are going to be the ones that get it first. I hit publish on the servers on the back end and ding, it shows up right to your mobile device. So make sure that you do that. You can follow Kyle on Twitter at KylePorterCBS. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Kyle, uh, when we talk again, it'll be making picks time. I got all kinds of over-unders and predictions. So come prepared. Be ready. I'm ready. I'm, I'm fired up. Final major of the year. Let's do it. World War. Spieth Rory. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs>